What ideas does the word surrender bring to your mind? Waving a white flag, giving up, or maybe releasing something or letting go? In this new series, we'll examine the idea of surrendering to God. Our time, our talent, our treasure, everything we have is given to us by God. What does it look like to open up our hands back to Him? Join us for this new journey in Surrender. Being said, we are starting a new series today, one I'm excited about, hope you are as well. And uh, you know what else is happening soon is Easter. Easter is coming, everybody. We're only about four weeks away. And so the question for you is, who are you bringing? As we just talked about 195 salvations. Easter is one of the two best times of year, Easter and Christmas, right? Two best times of year for you to invite somebody that doesn't follow Jesus, doesn't have a church family, uh, maybe struggling with some area of life like marriage or, or something, and they're saying, man, I just, I just wish there was an answer. Well, there is an answer. His name is Jesus, and you guys know the answer. So we need to be prepared to invite somebody. You got about four weeks, which means for a couple of weeks here, let's pray for him. Like name this person or people, because you know more than one, right? And let's name them, let's be praying for them so in a couple of weeks you can invite them. And so uh, as we are talking about Easter for a moment here, I wanna ask you a question. How many of you believe the Christmas and Easter stories? And, and what I mean by Christmas and Easter stories is you know, the, the idea that God came to the earth, was born as a man of a virgin to save his people from their sins. And then the Easter story is that man was named Jesus. And he lived a perfect life, but he was crucified, although declared innocent by all the Roman officials doing the trial. And he gave his life for us that we could be saved. And the good news, he didn't stay in the tomb, but he was raised from the dead. And that's what I mean by the Easter story. So do you believe the Christmas and the Easter story, right? I see some heads nodding and some people clapping and celebrating. And to that, I would say, great. But did you know the devil believes those stories? Matter of fact, you know why he believes them? He watched him happen. He was there. He saw the Son of God being born. He saw the Son of God dying on a cross. And he saw the tomb empty. He saw all of this. He believes every bit of it. And you know what is remarkable? Is he remained totally unchanged. He was an enemy of God before Christmas, and he remained an enemy of God after Easter. And the question I have for us if we believe the Christmas and Easter stories, what changes for you? What's different on a Monday morning when you get up and get ready for work? What is different for you on a Wednesday afternoon making a business decision? What is different for you on a Thursday afternoon when you're at school? What changes for us? And I think the obvious first answer and, and the most foundational one is Jesus becomes your king, plain and simple, right? Jesus becomes your king. Everything changes, right? And so what I wanna share with us today as we get into our new series, this foundational idea of Jesus is our king, I want to show you what I think is the, the central passage in all of scripture about how that impacts us on a daily basis. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 19. If not, it's gonna be on the screen right here. It's a famous passage. Some people have memorized and some have tattooed on their arms or something else like that. So uh, maybe you've heard this before. It says, do you not know that you... Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Again, famous passage. People love that one. The, the thing, though, is as we read this, 
We miss some of the, the depth that is there. And, and I, don't, I don't ever want to make anyone feel like reading your Bible, you're not getting as much as you can. I'm a huge uh, fan of the Bible, by the way. I believe it's God's word, and I think we need to read it every day. And if that's English or Spanish for you, whichever is your uh, first language, then I think you should be reading it every day. Uh, the problem is not so much your Bible, because when people say, well, which version is best? I said, any of them that God wrote. Okay, so, you know, I do have the version I read, and that doesn't matter. Uh, the point to that is they're all God's word, and they're all going to help you follow him and live your life the way that you should. I'm, I'm just a huge fan of that. But with that being said, what happens sometimes is the fact that we are from 21st century and 21st century America, the way that we read things isn't the way that someone read them when they were written and the insights that they had in the first century. So just like this right here, how many of you in this room today know where Soda City is? Less than half of the hands. Okay, some of you drove very, very far to church or you're not aware that you live in Soda City. You're not aware that Soda City is a nickname for Columbia. Matter of fact, many of you, if I'd have said, will you meet me at the Soda City market, you would have thought we got to go to Atlanta because that's where Coca-Cola was started, right? I'll let you go and figure out on your own why it's nicknamed Soda City because I got too much to preach. I don't have time to tell you that one. But it's context. And only people, apparently only half of the people who live in Columbia would have any idea why we have a Soda City market. And so the same thing happens. And this passage is remarkably deep to people in the first century as it was being written to them and some understandings. You see, this was written by a first century Jew who used to kill Christians who became a Christian. His name was Paul. And he was writing this letter to first century pagans who had become Christians. And you gotta understand the people he's writing to, these are not what we call God's people. They're not the Israelites. They're not in God's nation and the land of Israel, the promised land. They're not there. They are in a pagan city, a part of the Roman conquered world. It's completely different. Everywhere that they're surrounded by is pagan. It looks nothing like what you and I see today. It looked nothing like Israel then. It was a completely different environment. And so as Paul wrote to them and he used some words, they had light bulbs going off that you and I didn't have go off a minute ago when I read that passage. And so I want to share some of those with you today. That's what I love about my job. That's the reason reading our Bible is important as well as hearing preaching because some Bible nerds like me get time to study and dig a little deeper and show you something that we're not going to get from the 21st century and English, right? So here we go. A couple of uh, great depth things from this passage that I think will help us. We're just gonna go back to the beginning. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so we get that and go, okay, Spirit of God lives inside me. Good. Hey, what's for lunch? Maybe he'll help me order. You know, that's, that's the way we read that passage. We're comforted, but we move on very quickly. But for the, the Corinthians that he's writing to, these first century Christians that used to be pagans living in this pagan city, a huge light bulb went off because their streets are lined with temples. And immediately images came to mind. A temple? Oh, oh! I remember the one on the corner and it's painted red and it's got that God that dwells there. Oh yeah, I get that. No. Oh, and then there's that one over there and it's got all these uh, carvings and flowers cause it's like dedicated to a plant God and that's amazing. And oh, but my favorite one is the biggest one and it's got these really big arches and I love arches. Yeah, I want that to be mine. It'd be today if I said to you, your body is a fast food restaurant. 
And you guys immediately started going, I'm the Chick-fil-A. I'm the, there you go. I make the Christian chicken. I get a day off. I'm the cleanest and everything inside of me is, it's always my pleasure, right? Some of you would be like, no, I'm the McDonald's. And I'd go, we're going to cast a demon out of you. <laughs> McDonald's are always dirty. Nothing good ever comes out. Why would you want to be that? But anyway, the point is just like we would start having that imagery they had the same kind of imagery. They immediately started thinking, oh, I want to be like that one. I want to be like that. They know what it means. And they recognized that he said, your body is a temple. They, they, they got the idea, that temple, well, it belongs to that God. And only one God can dwell there. And worship for that one God takes place there. And that temple is identified with that God. I could tell somebody to meet me by the temple of that God. They would know that's it's identified that way. And everything represents that God. So as I walk the street, everyone is supposed to identify me with that God. As I walk the street, everyone is supposed to come in contact with the presence of that God. As I walk the street, everyone is supposed to see worship take place in here to that God. I am supposed to be known just like we know that place. I'm supposed to be known that way. Whoa, that is deep, Paul. See, they got that. It was not quite the impact it had with us, right? He goes on to say, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. And here's the thing that is so remarkable about that. When they read that sentence, as soon as they read that, they did another one of those, <gasps> because they recognized that is a slavery language. It's actually a formula of purchase that they saw everywhere in their society. You were bought by whom at what price? You are not your own because you are owned by this person who bought you at this price. Now, before I can go any further and help us understand their context, I need to take apart our context. Because for us, the word slavery brings up a very negative history, as it is negative, by the way, and it brings up the African-American slave trade and all that we understand about that. What the Roman situation was like and what Paul is talking about couldn't be further from that. They have absolutely nothing in common, okay? So you guys just, just follow this as we talk about this. And so what they would do in the Roman context is simply recognize that they could voluntarily give themselves as a slave to someone else. They could choose a slavery. And you'd say, why would they do that? Because again, we think with our context of American history. But their context was, I look at my life in my pathetic little kingdom and I've got no land and I'm poor and I've barely got any job and I could never get married. No one would ever marry me because I've got nothing. But what I can do is I can agree to connect myself with this person over here. Maybe they're a, an influential businessman. Maybe they're a government official, maybe even a Roman senator. And I can agree to become their slave, which is essentially a covenant employee for life. I've, I've given up my freedom, but what I am doing is I am getting life on their estate, eating their food, an esteemed position working for them. And if I'm faithful, I could even maybe work up to be in their right hand. Because in that time and in that world, a slave would have been the right hand director to everything. And you could walk down the streets and everybody would know, oh, that is one of the most influential people in this city. He, although a slave, is the right hand to that senator or a right hand to that businessman. And whatever he says is what is going to happen. They understood your power and that your life was better off. So you can understand now why someone would willfully take that step. Right, are you guys with me? 
And so think about this, because I want you to connect the dots. Paul is saying that you can willfully recognize the pathetic state of your own kingdom and attach yourself to a greater kingdom, one that will never be shaken because yours will not stand the test of time. And instead, have a much greater and influential position representing the king as you walk the street. Did y'all connect the dots between you and God on that for me? Y'all did that? See, that's what he's talking about. And so this formula that they're used to, you are not your own because you have been bought by whom at this price. Again, we use the word bought and all we look at is, oh, that's like going to the store. I get it. I give them my visa. I bought it. But again, because they recognize slavery language here, they understood that this word bought didn't mean that. Not in this context. This word bought actually means to cause the freedom of someone who is not free. To cause the freedom of someone by a means which is very costly to the one doing the buying. Did y'all get all that? To cause the freedom of someone by a means which is very costly to the one doing the buying. You are not your own. For your freedom was caused by someone, by a means which cost him very, very dearly to have you. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. But see, we don't get that. They understood first century. Slaves all around them, many of them were slaves or had been slaves. And they understood immediately. This sentence is a transfer of ownership. I had an owner, I have a new owner. They understood this is not a certificate of freedom. We read it that way, but that's not what it is. Matter of fact, the Bible explains to us, if we can take a little detour across the Bible to Colossians 1, it explains to us that when Jesus died for us, he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of a son. That's what God did for us by sending his son to die for us. He transferred us, rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. And so the idea here is never were we set free to be our own kings of our own kingdom. That's not what scripture means. Matter of fact, there's not one single Bible verse about freedom. You know, we sing all of these songs, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free indeed. And we look at all the Bible verses about freedom. There is not one verse about freedom that ever implies that Jesus died so that you could be your own king in your own kingdom. Never, not one. The implication in every single instance that says we are free, we are free in Christ, is not what we are free to do on our own and live our own lives. It is what we are free from. We are free from the kingdom of darkness. It no longer has a hold on me. We are free from the power of sin. I can overcome and say no. We are free from shame. We are free from guilt. We are free from condemnation. We are free from the power of the devil. We are free from, we are not free to be anything we want to be and live our lives as we so choose. Because it is a transfer of ownership from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom where the king was willing to give his own life for us. That's powerful, if we understand that. To help you, for those of you that might want, want just a, another kind of visual image to go with this, uh, I've recently had the most perfect illustration of this come into my life. And uh, I never love when this happens to me, but if it's for your sake, it'll be good. And uh, so anyway, if you've been around Grace Life any period of time, uh, you know that I am not a cat person. I am a dog person. And particularly, I am a smart dog person. And so I'm living a rather frustrated life at the moment because our dog is very dumb, and that is just the reality, but that doesn't matter because he's not the point of this story. Um, but we also recently just came into ownership of a cat. Um, so I have a dumb dog and a cat, which is quite frustrating 
and really does make me wonder who is king in my kingdom, but that's a, also not the point of the story. Uh, the point of the story is that my son, who uh, found out that someone had a cat and the former owner could no longer be the owner due to life circumstances. So my son agreed to rescue this cat. Yes. My son, who may not be living at my house as long as he intended, is now a cat owner. And so here's the way this went down. The former owner had this cat in a cage, a literal cage, and carries the cat in the cage from its house to our new kingdom, brings it inside of our house, leaves it behind, closes the door and goes outside when we then open the cage and set the cat free into our kingdom where I am king, right? That is what we did. The cat was never set free on the side of the road to make its own choices. The owner did not stop along the way and go, you choose your house. You do whatever you want. Pick the one that you'd like to do and you, you live any way you want when you get there. No, no, no. It was a transfer of ownership from you because they didn't want you anymore over here to a kingdom where apparently somebody wants you. However, we are still trying to figure out if I'm actually the king of this kingdom because we gave it a litter box and it goes anywhere but the litter box. So fortunately for all of us, God's grace and mercy are never ending, but mine is. And so there may be another transfer of ownership coming sooner than you think, um, except the cat is pregnant. So I am merciful. And, uh, but then the story only gets worse because I've got an 11 year old daughter and apparently I'm going to have more than one cat. Back to the story. We live just like the cat. We live just like the cat. We, we, we think that it's, we've been set free to, to do whatever we want, wherever we want, even though we've been rescued into God's kingdom with a king. It's not ours to do whatever we want. And so we kind of miss some of that. And so, you know, um, that brings us to his final insight. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. And so far, some of you would push back on this message going, well, I, I understand that's all true, but man, that's not very loving. I mean, you're just, just telling me how, how God owns me. And man, that's, you know, I, I wanted you to tell me God loves me and, and like make me feel good. All right, let me do that for you. You see, we understand the word price. This actually is not too deep. You go to a store, you see a price tag and you think, is it worth it? It's worth it, I'll pay for that. So the word price means that there has been a worth associated with that. And your worth, in God's eyes, is the death of his only son in the most horrific manner humanity ever came up with. And having to turn his back on his son as all of the sins of the world are placed upon him in a moment of time, and Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you, my son, because that's what they are worth to me. So the next time the devil tries to tell you you are messed up and there is something wrong with you and no one could love you. You go, oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you my worth to the one who loves me the most. Next time the devil tries to tell you, you are not made right and God could never forgive you. God could never pour out his grace upon you. Say, actually, wait a minute. Let me tell you my worth in my God's eyes. You see, if we understood, yes, we've been transferred of ownership. No, we've never been set free to be our own king, our own kingdom, which by the way, would be a pathetic little kingdom. Instead, we've been transferred into the kingdom of the most high loved at the highest degree. That's powerful. Are you guys getting this? You are 
temple associated with one God, the one true living God. Everyone who comes into contact with you, everyone who comes into your presence should experience worship of that God. They should experience his presence all around you. They should know that you are the temple of that God because you're not your own. You were bought at a price of great worth. Your freedom has been caused from darkness into his kingdom. Now get all that? Let me bring it together in a very simple analogy that hopefully you can remember as you walk away from the building today. It, there was a bumper sticker that Christians used to put on their car uh, a few years back, actually it was a few decades back, and, and thank God these have kind of faded away, and so hopefully none of you have this on your car today. If you do, I'm gonna pick on you, and it's your fault because it's a bad bumper sticker. It's not my fault. Um, but used to, Christians would go to a Christian bookstore and they'd get this bumper sticker, and it said, God is my co-pilot. Some of y'all remember those? Don't raise your hand if you had one. And, uh, you know, the problem with that is that that you're sitting in the, the pilot seat and now that you've added God into your life, you recognize that he's a part of the equation. So on occasion, whenever you need someone to read a gauge or give you a little bit of navigational direction, like you don't know the answer on your algebra test or you get blue lights behind you, you go, oh, oh, help me, please. And uh, that's, that's just really not a good way to live. Matter of fact, some of your problems are the fact that God is your co-pilot, but we'll move on. That's gonna be a different sermon for a different day. And, and so... It didn't take long before people like me on a stage like this picked on those bumper stickers so much that they went out of style very quickly. And, and they started printing another version of them and, and they put a little line across the word co. So it is God is my not co-pilot. And uh, that's, that, that was doing the new bumper stickers that they had out for a while. Um, that's actually also not a very accurate version. Like God is uh, flying and asking you for help and directions and has some lack of information about this circumstances. So he needs you to read a gauge and help him understand what's really going on in your life. Yeah, not the best, but it's a little better than the co-pilot idea. I'll give you that. But what I wanna do is give you the more accurate version theologically of your relationship to God if we wanna stick with the pilot analogy. You are the airplane. That's it. You're the airplane. God bought this airplane. Matter of fact, God bought the entire airline at a very expensive cost. And with one word, he spoke and created the entire airport. Y'all enjoying this? Y'all catching all, connecting all the dots for me? And then he decided I've got such beautiful airplanes that I've paid so much for, I think I'll live inside of them. I don't need to be, I'm gonna be right there with them all the time. And I'm gonna dwell inside of them. I'm even gonna redecorate the insides. I'm gonna redecorate the outsides, make them look more like me. I'm gonna fly them wherever I want, whenever I want. I'm gonna do what I want. You are only an airplane. Your job is not to wake up on Monday morning and go, what do I think I'm going to do today? Your job is to wake up and go, God, where do you wanna fly today? That is our job. And I realize that's a little bit weird of an analogy. And when you go to work tomorrow and somebody says, hey, what'd you do in church? You're gonna say, I learned I was an airplane. <laughs> and uh, then you're gonna have a hard time inviting them to Easter. So <laughs> that's all I got to say about that one. You're not your own. You were bought with the price. So the question that we have to answer today is, who is your king? Who is your king? Now, you know the right answer because you're in church, but if we were to actually be honest, we'd all have to admit, well, I am sometimes. I am maybe a lot of the time. 
The problem is we've already made it very, very clear. We were never given a certificate of freedom to be ourselves in our own kingdom and to be our own king like the cat in my house. No, no, that's not what we've ever been given. We have had a transfer of ownership, and so our king is supposed to be God, right? But not always. So I'm going to make this very practical, and some of these statements are going to hurt. And as I I give you some statements that will help you judge who is king in your life, because it's going to hurt a little bit, I've decided we'll do it in a humorous style. How many of you remember Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a redneck if. Come on, anybody in the room? And so I'm gonna give you some, you might be your own king if statements. And uh, for the record, I'm from South Carolina. I can turn the accent on and give you the full Jeff Foxworthy, but I don't want you to lose the spiritual message that I actually have behind this. So here we go. You might be your own king if. Y'all ready? You might be your own king if God says forgive, but you stay offended. You might be your own king if God says don't gossip, but you do. I decided we'd start off easy. Everybody good so far? The offense is coming in a minute. You might be your own king if God says be kind, but you are a bully at school or a jerk at work. And we won't even talk about traffic. God says, you might be your own king if God says tithe, but you don't. Now some of y'all are mad. You might be your own king if God says be generous, but you are stingy. Can I give y'all some Christian advice? If you cannot tip generously, please stay home and cook your own food. You might be your own king if God says sex is for marriage, but you do otherwise. You might be your own king if God says honor your parents, but you don't. You might be your own king if God says love your neighbor, but you couldn't care less and don't even know all their names. You might be your own king if God says be content, but you always want more. You might be your own king if God says anything in here that you do your own way instead. Who is your king? Who's your king? And by the way, whichever of those statements I just said that offended you the most is where you are your own king the most. Don't kill the messenger. If I could tell you the truth, I I like pastoring a church near a military base because military folks get this. And no offense to the non-military, I was not military, but the military folks get this. They understand what it means to be owned, literally. Do I have any military here today? Y'all wanna represent? So uh, I was doing a backpacking trip. I was doing a backpacking trip a couple of years ago with some folks here at Grace Life and one of the guys that was going with us was was in the army. And and, uh, so we set dates and got the dates off and everything. and, And then when came time to go. He's like, well, where are we going? I told him where we were going. He said, I can't go. Well, why not? You said you had the days off. Yeah, I don't have permission to be that many miles from base. I thought, you are a grown man on your day off and you don't have permission to go that far? Nope. I don't have permission to be that many miles from base. It was obviously during a season of readiness. Had another soldier came in. I thought he was joking when he told me this. He came to me on a Sunday morning. He had broken his arm playing basketball. And he said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to be in trouble tomorrow. I said, why? He said, because I damaged U.S. military property. See, they understand what it means to be owned. And so when they give their life to Jesus, they're all in. Because they understand they, they just had a transfer of ownership. One that's better than the devil, better than the army, 
the best king ever. You see, we have to recognize Jesus died to transfer our ownership. We have a new king. We are owned by God. And if we are owned by God, then some things change. You know, for instance, one of the first things that'll change if God owns you and he is king of your life is your plans for life changes. We don't wake up every day and say, what do I want to do with my life? We wake up and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Our obedience changes. If God has said, we do, end of discussion. Our actions and our reactions change because God owns us. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you've heard people say things like, if it wouldn't get me fired, I'd tell my boss exactly what I think. If it wouldn't get me caught and grounded, I'd sneak out past curfew. If it wouldn't get me arrested, I'd punch you right here, right now. And I think, why is that the standard? Since when are the consequences our king? The standard should be, if I were not bought with a price and representing God in heaven, then, then I would do those things. But since I am, I'm not my own and I don't get to react the way I want to. So I'm going to love you despite the fact that I don't want to. I'm going to forgive you despite the fact that I don't want to. I'm going to pray for you despite the fact that I don't want to because I'm not my own. I don't own my reactions. I don't own my actions. See, if God owns us, he owns our lifestyle. He owns our relationships. He determines those. He determines our spending. He determines our moral choices. He determines our sexual choices. You see, the king of your life is in charge of each of those. So I'll ask you again, who is your king? Who is your king? We're calling this series Surrender because it is about surrendering parts of our lives to God. And I thought before we get into the different areas of our lives that we're gonna talk about, we just need to ask the question, have we surrendered ourselves? Have we surrendered our kingship and our kingdom? It's something we struggle with. A lot of people struggle to surrender sometimes. So I thought to kind of get the point home today, I'd end with a story. It's a true story. Some of you already know it if you are in the military history or like documentaries. But in World War II, there was a, a Japanese intelligence officer named Hiro Anada. And he was placed on a remote Philippine island by his commander. And his commander told him, collect intelligence. It may take three years, it may take five years, but I will come back for you. Don't lose the course and never give up. As you and I know, World War II came to an end. Leaflets fell from airplanes telling him the war was over, but they were written with bad Japanese grammar, so he assumed it was a ploy of the Americans to lie to him. He didn't believe it. People came looking for him in search parties, but he assumed they were enemy scouts and he hid himself from them. He successfully remained in the jungle living off of coconuts and what he could steal from farms nearby for 29 years. And in 1974, a research student came across him and said, um, the war has been over for three decades. He said, I can't give up. It literally took this student going back, making the story known his former commander having to put on a uniform and fly to the Philippines, go to the island, find him, look him in the eyes and say, you are relieved of duty. 
30 years of his life spent living for the wrong thing and missing out on all the right things because he refused to surrender. So I'd ask you the question, if you refuse to surrender, how much of your life is gonna be wasted living for the wrong things and missing out on the right things like a kingdom purpose and a kingdom that'll never be shaken? So we've got two groups of people here today and online. One group would be the people who have asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. People who have said, I not only believe the Christmas and Easter stories, but I, I wanna be forgiven of my sins. I wanna go to heaven. Thank you, God, for saving me. And that group, we would all say if we're in that group, that we struggle surrendering everything to God. It's hard, isn't it? Then there's the other group who would say, I've never done that. I've never given my life to Jesus. You're the people that have surrendered nothing to God. And today you may say, boy, I'm glad I never did that. Man, these people, they got homework to do. They got to go home and figure out how to surrender everything to God. I'm glad, I'm, I'm good, I'm free. Problem is you're not free. It's a facade of freedom in the kingdom of darkness. And after a few decades on earth, one day, you will pay eternally for the cost of that facade of freedom. If you have never made Jesus your king, if you are a Jesus follower who is struggling to surrender everything, it's all about giving up our kingship in our own little kingdom. Can I pray for us? God, for those of us that have declared you to be our king and are following you, but we struggle with an area of life. I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that you would give us new insight and, and help us to see it. We'd just wake up and go, oh my gosh, I never noticed I was holding that as my own. And God, would you by your grace give us the strength to surrender things that we have held tightly because it all belongs to you. God, we thank you for the price you paid and the worth you placed upon us. For those of you that have yet to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and would like to change that now, to know that you can be forgiven of your sins, you can have eternal life, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me to rescue me from the kingdom of darkness. And today I choose to live for you, declaring you are my king. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom where you are king. Amen. Would you help me celebrate with those people, everybody?